<laughs> there we go. Awesome. Awesome. So grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen Hallelujah. And that is the message that was spread far and wide on that first Easter morning, right? Not so much. Not so much. So the, the morning starts out and the women are going to the tomb. And while they're walking to the tomb, they're, they're talking among themselves about how they're going to move the stone away because the stone is huge and it's big, which is a little odd because they came with a group of people. They could have asked plenty of guys to help them out to move this stone, but they don't because the disciples are hiding. Because the people who killed their Lord are still on the outside there. So they're laying low. The ladies, not so big a risk for crucifixion. And the ladies also know that two guys prepared the body for burial, but they did it quickly. And they know they didn't do it right. Right, ladies? They didn't do it right. They're, they're going to do it right. So they're going to the tomb. And they get to the tomb, and they find out it's empty. Which is, normally... When you're going to prepare a body for burial, a bad thing. And so they run back. They run back into the city of Jerusalem, and they find Peter and John. And they tell Peter and John, we, the body of the Lord is gone, we don't know where they've taken him. And so Peter and John, they run from Jerusalem to outside the city to where the body has been placed. It's not there. Now, the fact that they're running tells us something significant. Because in Middle Eastern culture back then, I'm not sure about today, but back then, men and women did not run in public. You just didn't do it. Kids could run and play in public. That was fine. But men and women did not do it. Because they wore robes, right? And so if you're going to run while wearing a robe, ladies, if you wear a dress, right, you're going to run, you've got to hike it up. Otherwise, you're going to trip over yourself. So you're just going to fall over and just trip over that robe or that dress. And so to do that, you have to expose your legs, which was considered shameful back then. So the fact that they're running tells you they are concerned, they are scared, they are worried, they are mad. Because someone has stolen the body of their Lord. Peter and John see the tomb is empty, but it gets even more weird than that because they see... The linen that Jesus had been wrapped in is lying right there on the slab, the stone slab. And this is odd. Because if someone had stolen the body, they would have kept the linen on. I mean, if you're going to steal a body, and a body that's been crucified, that is bloody and beaten, not that I recommend you steal any bodies, but if you were going to steal a body, you'd keep the linen on, right? Otherwise, you're going to make a mess yourself. So they see the linens just laid out right on the stone slab perfectly. And more than that, the linen that was covering his head has been folded and placed at where Jesus' head was laid. It's as if someone robbed the house and then did your dishes first before they left. That's what it looks like. And so Peter and John walked back to Jerusalem where they were hiding out. And somewhere along the way, maybe while they were still there, Mary finally runs up, because she'd been running a lot this morning, poor Mary. And she makes it to the tomb. Peter and John leave, but she stays. And she is distraught. She is broken. 
tears are filling her eyes, and she sees Jesus and doesn't even realize it. Until she said, he says, Mary. And she realizes that Jesus has risen from the dead. And Jesus says, no, don't, don't hold on to me. Go back and tell my brothers. So she does. So she runs back into Jerusalem. Mary's had a busy morning, right? Runs back into Jerusalem and tells them, I have seen the Lord. And here's the best part. It's not in this gospel, but the other three gospels record. Nobody believes her. That's the first Easter. That's the first Easter morning. It's an absolute disaster. It's an absolute disaster. Everybody's running around everywhere. Nobody quite knows what's going on. And the one person who does know what's going on, Mary, no one believes. This is not how I would have written it. And it speaks to the facts and the historicity of the accounts. Because it's so, it's so bizarre. It's a disaster. The first Easter morning is a disaster. Now, if Hollywood had written this, they would have done a better job, right? So Jesus would have risen from the dead. There would have been angels all over the city of Jerusalem, just singing, you know, because that's what angels do, right? Hallelujah, hallelujah. And then Pilate and the Roman centurions, they'd be like, we're so sorry, we're so sorry, right? And then Jesus would be floating in the air, or better yet, be walking on the tomb with a fog machine behind him. <laughs> Looking like an action hero, like Arnold Schwarzenegger with a beard, right? And you know what he would say. I came back, right? <laughs> That's it. That's how it should have been written. But it wasn't, because it's not how it happened. The way it happened was, that was, was kind of a disaster. Do you know about disasters? Have you ever gone to a disaster? Like a family reunion that you know is not going to go well, right? Maybe like a, you've gone to the hospital and you're like, this isn't going to be good. It's, a, it's going to be a disaster. You've got that conversation with that kid and you know it's going to be rough. Have you ever been to a disaster in the making? I have. I've been to lots because I officiate weddings. <laughs> Yeah, they're great. Oh, man. Weddings. See, you think of weddings as these nice, lovely, pleasant affairs. But us pastors, we know weddings. And they are professional events run by amateurs. That's a wedding. Because everything has to be absolutely perfect. And nothing is ever absolutely perfect. It is a disaster waiting to happen. And it happens all the time. It's great. So I tell couples in premarital counseling, I meet with them and say, you know what? Your wedding day, it's going to be stressful. And the months leading up to your marriage, they're going to be nuts. Because there's going to be family conflict. And then there'll be in-laws. And you're, you're going to have a mother-in-law. Did you meet your mother-in-law yet? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I promise you this, right? And then you're going to have a couple. And you guys are going to get in kind of conflict because you're defending each other's family and stuff like that. And then there's financial stress going on top of that. So what I want you to remember is this. Pay attention to all the chaos. 
Because in the middle of the chaos, God is growing you to be a team. God is going to grow you closer together and closer to Him. So pay attention to the chaos. And I tell them this months before it happens. And these young couples, none of them ever believe me. They never believe me. They're like, oh, no, not us. Right? Couldn't happen to us. God help them, right? I did one wedding. This was great. I did one wedding, and uh, the bridesmaids were processing down the aisle, right? And then we get to the maid of honor. And the maid of honor was a model. And I knew this because she told everybody, right? (laughs) And I learned the meaning of the word sachet. Because, see, she just sashayed down the aisle. Step, stop, tushy out. Stop, stop, tushy out. And she's like waving at people like this, you know? I'm like, oh my goodness. The organist had to slow down the song because she was taking so long to get down the aisle. And she finally makes it. And I can see the bride with her dad in the back, and the bride's like this. Right? So she walks down the aisle normally. Right? And then they, the groom, and they're standing right there in front of me. And the first words the bride says to the groom are this I'm going to kill my sister. <laughs> Which would have been fine, except my microphone was on. <laughs> I'm like, I changed the whole sermon. I'm like, I think I should speak about forgiveness. The Spirit is leading me to talk about forgiveness. Yeah, it was a disaster. You know about disasters. Maybe your job is a disaster. Maybe you go into work every day knowing it's not going to be good because it's never good. Maybe home's a disaster. You come home going, what now? What fire do I have to put out today? Maybe there's a relationship that's just a disaster. You're not sure where to turn. Or maybe you feel like those disciples and Mary on that first Easter morning. Maybe you're just running around, and you're running around everywhere, and you're trying to get stuff done, and you're, you're running around, and, you, and you're trying to find purpose in your job. I'm trying to find purpose here, and I'm trying to find purpose. It's not quite happening. So I'll run over here, and I'll find meaning in my role in life, what I do, in my accomplishments. But that lasts, but it never lasts long, right? So you run some more, and you're like, maybe I'll find purpose and meaning somewhere. Maybe if I just made a little bit more money. Made a little bit more money, everything would be fine, right? Maybe if I just fix this issue, I fix this issue and the kids will be good, right? If I just get this done, maybe if I can just work a little bit harder and make my spouse work a little bit harder, the marriage would be great, right? Maybe I can do that. Maybe if I just, um, if I, if I keep working harder, I'm going to run, I'm going to find answers. I'm going to run over here and find some security. I'm going to run over here and find some peace, maybe some joy, maybe some happiness for a little bit. I'm going to run over here, and it lasts, but it never lasts long. It never lasts long. And God just wants to tell you today, stop. Stop. Just stop. Jesus Christ died and rose for you. Jesus Christ died and rose for you. Jesus Christ died and rose for me. Can we say that together? Jesus Christ died and rose for me. And it makes all the difference. 
The prosperity teachers on TV will tell you that um, if you make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, and if you really believe, right, if you really trust Him, then everything in your life will be great. And that's a lie, my friends. Because when you trust Jesus, that He died and rose for you, oftentimes, sometimes, things aren't great. But in the hard stuff, in the disasters, in the hard stuff of life, God is growing you. And He's growing you in your trust and your faith. And most importantly, what He wants most for you is relationship with Him. You see, I, I told those couples pay attention to the chaos, pay attention to the hard stuff. Because God's going to grow you in the middle of that. And you heard that, you went, yep, that's what happens. That's what happens. Been there. That's what happens. But when it's your own life, it's harder to receive that. But it's true. God is growing you in all the hard stuff. In the midst of self-doubt, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of insecurity, in the midst of fear, in the midst of sin, God is using it. He's inviting you to repent and come back to Him and His cross where He died for you. He's inviting you to come back to, to Him and His resurrection where He gave up everything so that you might have life now and for always. God's working in the hard stuff. And we know that. We know it because the tomb is empty. Christ is risen. Jesus Christ died and rose for you. And he freely offers you, with no strings attached, that free gift of his forgiveness and his life, now and always. Jesus Christ died and rose for you. And that means every day has purpose and meaning. You are not some accident of evolution. Jesus Christ died and rose for you. And that means you are loved by your creator. And you are never at any time unloved or unwanted. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for you and rose for you. Jesus Christ died and rose for you. And so your identity is in his love and his security and his full and complete acceptance of you. It's not in what you do and where you failed or where you succeeded. Your identity doesn't lie there. But rather it lies in the Savior. Jesus Christ, who loves you so much, they died and rose for you. We like to say here a lot, you are beloved children of God, redeemed by a gracious Savior. It's who you are. It's whose you are. Because the tomb is empty, because Jesus Christ did all that for you, you can rest in his love, and you can stop running around looking for answers that will never be there. You can stop running around looking for that hole to fill your heart because you've got a God-sized hole in your heart and there's only one person who can fill that. It's the one, Jesus Christ, who died and rose for me. Can we say that together one more time? Jesus Christ died and rose for me. Christ is risen. Indeed. Indeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. 
Thank you that you died and rose for us, for me. Lord God, our lives are yours. You paid for us. We are yours. And Lord, it's a good place to be. We don't have to run around anymore looking for answers that just aren't there or don't last. We can rest in you, Lord, secure in your love, confident in your grace, knowing that every day has purpose and meaning because you died for us that we might live this day and every day with you, Lord Jesus.